I think inspiration comes from people who are um, who are doing the hard work of building things and doing it at what can only be the, the hardest time that we've experienced in our lives. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. With me is entrepreneur, investor, disruptor, breaker of things. I know it sounds kind of cool saying breaker of things. I'm a Game of, I'm a Game of Thrones fan, so like you're breaker of chains. I like that. You're the breaker of things, breaker of chains. <laughs> Breaking all these unjust, uh, these, these unjust technical systems in terms of how the ecosystems are making them more equitable. Monique Woodward. So that was a better introduction, I think. I liked it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, it's great to have you on. Okay. We've been uh, working, going back and forth, and I am a, I, I am a uh, both an admirer and a follower of what you do. Uh, I've been following you for a while, and I just appreciate that. Uh, you've had success in this space and you didn't just go away and say, okay, I've had success. So let me continue to have success and, and be the unicorn or whatever you want to really get rid of that term unicorn <laughs> and make it, make it a, a commonplace for uh, more black and brown people and diverse people to be uh, leaders in tech, to be founders. Uh, so thank you for that. And I appreciate your work. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about a few things. Uh, first, I want to start with getting, how you got started breaking things on the internet since 1999. So how did you first yeah. get your first break when you were breaking things and what did that look like? Um, so I was really into computers and technology fairly early. Um, my dad bought me a computer when I was like eight or so. And I was also super into, into video games. Oh. Um, and I definitely think of video games as like You're a, a gamer. gateway drug in was, I, I do okay. not play as many games, uh, right now. Although among us is definitely on my phone right now. <laughs> so, um, but I, uh, you know, I got really into technology early, um, and my parents, uh, you know, for, you know, fostered that sort of interest. Um, but, you know, as much as they did, like a lot of girls and, and young girls do, I kind of fell out of it in middle school because um, there was no outlet for me. There was no computer programming class in my, I grew up in a very rural town in Florida. There was no computer programming class at my school that I could go to. But then I, I just kind of kept, um, kept tinkering away at things and uh, didn't back then I didn't think of it as starting a startup. I was just like learning how to build stuff on the internet and then learning how to make it grow. And I built a series of media platforms, learned how to monetize them using performance marketing. And those were really my first forays into, into technology and in entrepreneurship. So uh, you, you were a gamer. And I put my first, I put my first, website on the internet in like 1999 or so. Oh so yeah. That's you, where the, you were where really the, at the beginning. I yes. mean, people, people, <laughs> normal people, well, <clears throat> you're not normal in a good way, but uh, <laughs> us normal people weren't like, no people, everybody's got a website now, but in 1999, like that's when it was considered like, wow, you have a website. Like you were really doing it then. I mean, it's, uh, right, uh, that's actually right. saying something. <laughs> so um, you told me you're a gamer. I'm curious. You were a gamer. Let's say that. 
when when you were a gamer, what was your game? I mean, the first thing I ever played was Pong, right? And okay, so yeah. that was like OG, the OG game. Okay. Um, but then Super Mario, Legends of Zelda. Of course. You know, all of those, yeah. Yeah. The, those, those are, are, my, those, those my are pre-Fortnite. I mean, who would have foresaw, foreseen a day when it becomes, it's it's a, it's more, it's probably approaching a trillion dollar platform at this point in terms of where it's going. Uh, but it's now like, you know, it's, it's such a big business now for gaming. I mean, we knew it would be big. I didn't, I didn't, did you foresee that it would be the level that it is now? I mean, we're, we're sort of in a gaming renaissance, right? Because yeah. you have many more people um, playing games and, and many more platforms. And so I didn't foresee it having this this renaissance where you've got Fortnite and Among Us and you know all of the games that people are playing now but I definitely definitely saw young people playing games and I think of gaming you know a lot of people their parents like get down on them for like playing games for too many hours and whatever but I think of it as this really interesting gateway drug into building technology and and I think people should kind of encourage their kids to to be on twitch i mean twitch stars are making bank so <laughs> no, I, I agree i, I mean like <clears throat> look this is not even the future this is the right now like this is not like this is not like uh theoretical yeah. they're they're whole new like i saw hbo and you know i was watching it with my wife and i didn't realize like there's they they have stars that are bigger than the stars that we think are stars that are like gamers they are right. they are bigger than like jay-z like people more people know yeah. them will pay for them than they will to see Jay-Z. And so we are, I think, just at the tip of the iceberg of this. And I, and I do think, particularly black and brown communities, we need to figure out how we're, we, yeah. we encourage our kids and guide them in the process to say, look, why can't you build Fortnite? Like, why can't you, or figure, and why can't you figure out ways to monetize something I actually want to talk to you about on the, on the other side of this is something we're looking at doing is really monetizing the art and using crypto art, but hold that conversation. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit offline. Um, if you can talk to your younger self, Monique, though, what would, you know, you're going back to your, at any point, maybe when you first started as a founder, or maybe when you were uh, younger and you were gaming and you got off of, uh, and you got off of the path of technology for a while because you didn't have that support system, knowing everything you know now, what, what advice would you give your younger self? And then what advice would you ignore? Oh, <laughs> It's funny. I, I ignore most advice. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't have to be, you wouldn't have to worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Keep ignoring. There you go. For better or worse. Um, but I think the thing that I would, the piece of advice that I would give is to find a community of people who are doing what you're interested in or, or what you see you want to do and just get deeply, get deeply immersed in that community. So, you know, back when I was a founder, um, there weren't really, um, there weren't online communities in the way that there are now, right? Yeah. Um, you, I was using IRC and, and there were message boards, but now like communities have gotten to be so robust in that you can find a community for anything that you're interested in, whether it's, whether it's gaming or whether it's investing or whether it's you know, founding a company. So I, I would just say, find the community however you can and learn from the people around you who are doing the thing that you want to do. Yeah. 
how about, can you think of a time when you might have uh, failed or had a huge setback and how that's actually set you up for uh, a better opportunity or pivot or, or just in general about a, a time when you just stumbled, failed, uh, people don't like the word failure. We can call it setback, whatever you like, and how that might've actually helped you grow. It can be from your direct tech experience. It can be from your, your earlier years. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I fail multiple times a week at something. Right. <laughs> and I think that if you're not actively failing, that means you're probably not pushing yourself as, as hard or as aggressively as you possibly could. But I definitely believe in, uh, what's the saying, uh, setback is your setup for a comeback or whatever. Yeah. Um, because I, I was going to raise a fund at, at, the first fund that I was at 500 startups and I didn't raise a fund there. And, you know, I felt like, um, the, I think the market was not ready for what I was trying to build. And I think that, and I really believe in like the universe guiding you to the thing that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. The universe was guiding you uh, building a more independent fund and, um, and it didn't feel like it at the time, but now that I've had, now that I have had the, uh, the space of a few years and more experience as an investor and now have launched this new fund cake ventures. Now it's sort of like, you're able to like sort of look back and say, Oh, that was what I needed so that I could have yeah. this. Yeah, I forgot who said this, but <clears throat> the saying goes, life only makes sense looking backwards. Like it, when you're in the process and doing things, like it's like, yeah. well, how, why in the world did I have to go through this and that? And then you realize later that all of those experiences play into, if you, if you keep going and don't allow yourself to, to get lost in despair, all those things that you yeah. uh, failed at, tripped up at, whatever, helped you to learn and become a better leader, entrepreneur, person, because I don't believe anything's wasted. As you said, like the universe kinds of, if we're listening, guides us back to where we mm -hmm. should go if we want to listen. I mean, I've had that experience many times over. So I, I really do relate to that. Uh, let's talk about your fund. Like, what is it? So your, your fund is set up now um, and talk about what you want to achieve with the fund that you have now. Uh, so I have, have launched a fund called Cake Ventures and uh, it's called cake because I believe that there are three big layers of demographic change that are changing the way that we invest in technology. Um, and these demographic changes that we're seeing in the United States, but also all around the world are really changes to the internet user base and um, what the internet user actually wants. And so there are three layers. The first layer is uh, this massive aging market, 10,000 people turning 65 every single day um, and needing to figure out how technology and innovation plays into helping them age, whether it's helping them age in place in their homes as opposed to going into a nursing home facility or assisted living facility or helping them create a will or a trust or manage their retirement savings. Uh, the second layer of the cake is companies that can get to billion dollar outcomes based on the economic activity of women. So women as the primary user group driving companies to unicorn status. Uh, we just saw the IPO of Bumble, 
Um, yeah. You know, and I think that's good. Uh, you know, formerly private market, but now public market uh, example of of where I think a lot of alpha can be can be discovered. Uh, and then the third layer of the cake is the rise of a new majority where people of color as a broad group become the majority in the United States. And I say people of color, but I mean, Latinx, Asian, African-American, sure. US. Um, and if you're looking globally, we're already a global majority, yeah. right? If you're building a global company. Yeah. And so you've seen, I think you see the influence of, of culture on, on lots of platforms already. You see the influence of, you know, which communities are driving the most popular TikTok challenges and exactly. activity on that platform, which groups are driving the conversations on Clubhouse, right? And, you know, who started the shoot your shot room? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to, I've seen a lot of <laughs> about your, uh, about your fun and I, and I appreciate that, that, uh, that you understand and th- that, you know, demographics or destiny. There's a lot mm-hmm. of consumers that are untapped. But as you just stated, I would say the demographics of people of color have been driving, have been driving value for a really long time. You know, equity often flows through black and brown communities, but not to them from what I've seen. Yeah. Uh, so it's been, you know, in the past, I, I think this has been true for a, a while now, but it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, pl- it's been a, it's been in a place where, um, they haven't, uh, communities haven't been equity participants and, and, and really gotten a chance to, to, to really profit in a, in a meaningful way. How do we change that systematically now? That's my, that's my first question. And, and my second question kind of goes to a, re, a related point you made. You said, you say income inequality, um, uh, should really piss off VCs. It should make venture capitalists upset. Why do you think yeah. that is, and why don't you think they get it? So I, I know I had a lot of questions. Let's start with that question. And I'll get back to the other question on demographics. We'll come back to that. So let's start with the inequality question, and we'll come back to demographics. Yeah, uh, people buy products, and if you have less money, and or if you are systematically shut out of of industries, you have less access to to consume you have less access to build something new and exciting. Look, if you're, uh, if you're early in, an early employee at, you know, a large tech company and, you know, you get, you get your salary and you get equity in that company. Um, but you're not getting as much equity or salary as your peers because you don't get paid. Um, you know, there is, there's, income inequality as a, as a woman on that team where there's income inequality based on your race, those things should piss VCs off because that is often where new founders are being created, Yeah. right? And we all want to see new founders. We all want the pool. We all want the party to not stop. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Is what keeps the party going. Yeah. So the more people are able to leave those companies and have the freedom and the, the, the capital to angel invest, to become founders themselves, to back other people who they know. Like that is how the ecosystem works and how it continues to, you know, perpetuate itself. Um, and then from a consumer lens, you know, income inequality influences who can afford products. 
yeah. and who can afford to buy things. And we all want people to buy things. Yeah. Because yeah, that I'm, is the way. That's the way <laughs> that it works. The way this <laughs> you know, there, there's a there's a few good, good points on what you said that, you know, when people are talking about this, uh, an inclusive economy, an inclusive innovation economy, an inclusive tech culture, uh, often they come at it, specifically people that are white, come at it as a kind of charity point of view. And the point you just made is, um, it is the right thing to do, first of all, but beyond being the right thing to do, it's the economically right thing to do. <laughs> so, I mean, a diverse economy means there's more opportunities. Right. I mean, this is not charity. This is, this is, this is actually, you are missing out on an economic opportunity by not looking at this demographic, by not investing in this demographic, by not having a diverse talent there. You are missing money, money. You're leaving money on the table and you're literally saying, I don't want this money. I don't want this opportunity. And I think people have to understand that. I mean, how have you, you seem like you've had some success there. I mean, how do you approach that conversation when you're talking to people that, you know, don't necessarily understand? I think I saw a a talk where uh, I forgot who you were with, but there was a woman moderating and she was saying, well, someone told you like, oh, well, are there enough black people and black investors of people of color that would buy your product? And, and it's, it's like, how do you reach people? clearly don't understand the world that they're living in or because they live in an alternate reality that they don't have to understand the world is changing and has changed. Yeah, I think, I think there are some investors who get it. And then I think there are some investors who still see this as, you know, as you called it, you know, they see it as charity or they see it, they see it as social impact um, and not, not social impact that is all, also economic impact. They purely see it as social impact and, yep. and concessionary returns. I do not believe in concessionary returns. That's, that's just not the model that, that I invest under. I believe in, in what I like to call full fat returns. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and, uh, because I do understand that there is a market here, that there are markets that have for a very long time been, been ignored by traditional, the traditional investor community. And I see it as, as their blind spot. And so that's yeah. where I'm sitting. I'm sitting in their blind spot so that I can take those returns that they, for some reason, think uh, are non-existent. Yeah. And, and so let's, let's talk about the demographics and demographics being destiny. Uh, I, I believe one of the um, businesses that you invested in is media. And you talked about being media and you said, a, you made a quote that you believe the future of kids media is multicultural. That's, that's, that's what it is. Talk about like why you believe that and what you see as kind of the landscape for opportunities. When you look at how the demographic, uh, how they've changed and how they are changing in terms of how that's going to look, look for opportunities for investment. Definitely. So I am an investor in in Contos, which is a kids media and ed tech and entertainment based ed tech platform that teaches kids 21st, uh, 21st century learning skills. And they do that through, uh, you know, creating engaging content that keep, teaches kids uh, bilingual nursery rhymes, or teaches them about uh, travel in Mexico or travel in Nigeria or what it's like in Haiti. 
Um, and I really invested in, in Contos because I do see this more multicultural world forming. Gen Alpha, which is the generation that comes after Gen Z, is already quote unquote majority minority, or as I like to call it, new majority, right? So it's, it's already dominated by children of color. Um, and they want things that are, that are different from the things that have always been on the market that are different from the nursery rhymes that I grew up with or that you grew up with, right? And they should have um, representative content and media that speaks to their lived experience, whether that is from a language point of view or from a country of origin point of view. And I think that's a big opportunity that, um, that a lot of other kids' brands have missed. I think we've definitely seen Disney and Pixar, you know, leaning into some of that with um, with some of the newer movies that they put out, like yeah, Soul. like Black Panther and yeah, and some others. Yeah. yeah, right. But I think that you know, when I made the investment in Contos, I see a much bigger market opportunity than even Disney can absorb. And oh wow. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to keep I mean, that in mind. We might have to invest in that. That sounds like it's <laughs> bigger than Disney. We're going to mark this. This is uh, February 19th, 2021. We're talking about this in five to 10 years <laughs> about the, the billion dollar opportunity that's coming. I love it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's those are the kinds of, of swings that I'm interested in seeing uh, founders taking is really swinging big on these big uh, these big market shifting opportunities. Hey, I'm, I'm with you. Hey, here's the hoping I can participate with you on that one. I, I, that's, that's my goal too. Um, you say an investor's superpower should be the ability to recognize founder talent with non-traditional backgrounds. How, how, can, how can investors hone that if they don't understand that everything doesn't fit in the box? Or how did you hone it yourself in terms of developing that superpower to look at founders who are in non-traditional fields or paths. Everybody didn't go to Stanford, I take it, or something. Right. I mean, I think, look, Stanford graduates some amazing people, right? So this is no knock against Stanford. But I think if, you know, your only lens is that, did this person go to Stanford or MIT? And do they come in here wearing a hoodie and looking like Mark Zuckerberg? if that's the only type of founder and that's the only type of founder talent you can identify, your, your abilities are pretty limited as yeah. an investor. No, and I so agree. can you recognize talent in a, 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 in a body that doesn't look like what you probably looked like 20 years ago, right? right. <laughs> Can you recognize talent in a black woman founder who, when black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs uh, in the United States? Can you recognize founder talent that went to Jackson State University instead of Stanford? Can you recognize founder talent in someone who went to Morehouse or Spelman, right? And, yeah. or didn't go to college at all? Right? Can you recognize founder talent um, without using a place of education or a racial background or so many of these, or you know, which large company you are a product manager at as proxies for intelligence? Right. It allows you, I think it allows them to take a shortcut into 
into the path to say, okay, yeah, we're, we're interviewing people. They don't have this boom. It just allows them to be uh, not intentional. And I think almost lazy. Yeah. Some people brought, okay. There's bias there too, but it's also bias is there because people don't want to challenge themselves outside of their comfort zone. So it's easy to go back to things that you know and understand, but at, hey, we go back to it. You're, you're missing out. This is not about charity. You're missing out on economic opportunities and they'll be there for somebody else. Um, to that point, you also talk a, a lot about creating an inclusive economy within a, uh, you know, within a, within a city. And I know you, you've, you've done that some uh, in San Francisco and you're working on that now. Like, what do you think are the ingredients for a city to create a more inclusive eco, uh, to, make, to create a more inclusive, innovative ecosystem? Like, what do you think are the main ingredients that are necessary to at least um, have a chance of that happening? Yeah, I think one is an active and inclusive angel investor community, right? So um, individual investors who can support uh, companies and founders at their earliest stages. I also think, you know, having local early stage funds, venture funds is really important too. But, um, you know, often, you know, as I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners know, often founders of color don't have access to the so-called friends and family round. Yes. And so what then is the stand-in for the friends and family round, you know, in in a place like New Orleans? And I think that we can cultivate uh, active angel investor communities um, and activate new angels, people who are accredited investors, but don't have the experience or, or just haven't been asked to, to invest, right? Um, so I think that is, is the number one. I think having a, um, a rich and supported policy landscape from a, from a local government standpoint is also really important and making sure that you are creating policies that are entrepreneur friendly uh, through in your local government, right. that's hugely important as well. How do you do that and make sure it's also that there's an environment that's inclusive of not just the same players? Like, is there anything you're doing or looking at specifically when you're creating those policies? Cause I'm a, I'm a systems person. That's just how I think. Like, what is it that, cause I want to push Cincinnati to be this way in most of Ohio. Like, what is it that needs to be created? They're all, everybody's saying they want to, at least in Ohio, they want to be more, uh, they, they want to give more support in the ecosystem uh, to, to innovators, I'm trying to say, what are you doing to make sure that it's in, inclusive though? Like, what would you, what do you yeah. think has to happen within the legislative framework or the mindset um, to make sure that that happens? Any, any thoughts there? I think you, I think you have to invite entrepreneurs to the table. I think so often policy is getting made by people who understand policy and they understand the civic aspects of it but they don't necessarily have the business background to be able to make effective policies that uh, support entrepreneurs. Yeah. And when you do bring entrepreneurs to the table, you need to be bringing the entrepreneurs who are diverse, right? Who, um, you know, you need to be setting an inclusive table of entrepreneurship and understand that small business entrepreneurship is very different from high growth yes. entrepreneurship. And you want to be able to support both of those things in an emerging ecosystem. Yeah, You want to be able to support main street businesses for sure. Like those should not go away. 
um, and they need more support than ever, you know, in our current pandemic, in the pandemic of it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, they need more support than ever. Um, but, you know, there, there also needs to be uh, a lens and a point of view around how do we support high growth entrepreneurs that are really going to drive, um, you know, drive the, the global companies and hopefully have a, have a global scale company in, in Cincinnati or in New Orleans or in a lot of these other places where I think you can, you should be able to grow a company. So what do you look for in a, <clears throat> so that's one of your targets, you look for a globally scaled uh, company. What is it that you evaluate when you're looking at a founder that approaches you? What is it that you look for to say, this could be a right fit with the fund? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, you know, I have a very specific thesis. So there are certain companies that are just not going to fit, you know, while I think the majority of companies are often impacted by demographic change, not everything is going to be right. Um, and so first, my first order is of, of questioning is, is this imp impacted by demographic change or not? And you know, I prefer that founders just let me figure that out rather than trying to, you know, X themselves out of, out of my bucket by saying, well, I don't think it's demographic change. You know, let me, let me figure that out and I'll do the work to, to decide on that. Um, and then I look for what is, tr I try to understand the size of the market and not just the size of the market today, because there are certainly uh, founders and companies that are being built who will build new markets that we haven't even thought of. Um, but what could be the potential size of the market, you know, in, in seven years and 10 years. And so those are the types of, of questions I'm, I'm thinking about as I'm evaluating um, an opportunity. And then, you know, I know every early stage, uh, early stage investor says that, but team, team is hugely important. Is this a team that I want to work with and who I think can execute against this planned uh, company? And do we want to be working on this together for a very long time? Because these relationships are, are long and persistent. Yeah. Um, final question on kind of with founders, and I want to move to a couple of closer questions. Um, what do founders get wrong most, most often, even if let's say they align with you, what do they get wrong most often that, you know, that when they, when they approach you, uh, that we can hopefully help people and they can learn from listening to the podcast right now? Um, that's actually a hard question. I, I, I don't like to think of founders as like constantly getting things wrong. Right. <laughs> I okay. think sometimes, you know, Founders what want to, do need to learn that... from do a little better. I'll rephrase the question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think go to market and acquisition is really important in uh, in every company. And I think that sometimes founders have the tendency to think a little bit too much about product and not have a clear go to market um, plan. Uh, so I, and, you know, I think distribution is everything. So how are you actually getting this into the, the hands of customers sooner rather than later? I, I see a lot of founders often wanting to build more features, wanting to put more bells and whistles on products before 
they deem it as ready. And I believe that the faster you can get people using your product, the better. And when I see people just piling on additional product features, that's always a little bit of a, of a red flag. Um, and then I also see sometimes people uh, unnaturally gating products to a certain demographic group. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are going to disagree with me. And this is definitely a soapbox issue for me. Okay, but, let's hear it. You know, <laughs> um, you know, there is natural gating with demographics where a demographic group is, is sort of naturally um, going to use this more, more often or, or um, have, find more value in it than, than a lot of other groups. And then there is like unnaturally gating. What do you and mean so by gating? I'm sorry. Would, Help me out. What do you mean by gating? So I'm going to explain it. So an unnaturally gated product is a product that says, okay, this is, uh, this is a um, marketplace for uh, black, uh, let's see, this marketplace for black uh, contractors. Okay. And then, and I'm, when I hear something like that, the next question is why is it a marketplace for black contractors as opposed to why is it a marketplace for all contractors and it does a really good job of building products so that it accurately and effectively supports black contractors, Latinx contractors and so on and so forth, right? And so I occasionally see people trying to unnaturally gate a product because they have a very specific experience with a certain demographic group. And that, that is great. You should, you should bring your, your entire experience to the table as you're building products. But when it's unnaturally gated in that way, it, it doesn't, it, you may think it fits the demographic group, you know, question that I always have, but it actually doesn't because you, you've gated the product in a, in a artificial way. Interesting. And so that's something that I definitely see people doing and that I kind of warn against. There, there are certainly ways to look, build platforms for like black creatives, for instance, yeah. that make a lot of sense. Um, but uh, there are also other products that are, that are unnaturally gated in a way that, that doesn't make any sense and, and carves up the market in a way that won't let you get to the, the scalable part of the market. Got it. That make no that 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 makes sense. And you've already answered one of the questions I'm gonna I was gonna ask you. What's an important truth you have that very few people agree with you on? You've you've answered that question. So you don't uh, have well, to. Yeah, that, that's that's gonna be it. That's yeah, gonna be it. That, yeah, <laughs> that definitely is. Okay. Uh, a couple of uh, final questions. So uh, two actually. Uh, you have a committee of three, living or dead, advising you on life, business, investments, anything. Who are these three people? They can be living or dead, and why? Oh my gosh. Okay. I've never gotten this question before. This is actually really good. Um, committee of three, living or dead. Um, okay. I'm going to have to take a minute. Hold on. <laughs> we, we can cut this dead air out. 
Um, that's, that's okay. T- take your time. If you want to, we can come back to that. I asked you another question. Uh, let's. Um, yeah. Let's. let's yeah. Let's, you, you have a go- you have a you have a Google ad uh, or a billboard that summarizes your statement or saying. What does that say and why? Um. You know, my dad always used to say this phrase, scared money don't make none. And so it would probably say that. (laughs) There is no reward without risk is another way of saying that. But I definitely prefer, I spent way too many, too much time as a child around the bidwiz table, obviously, (laughs) with my parents, because I I feel like that's probably where that came from. Scared money don't make none is, um, you know, how I like to think about risk. All right. All right. Um, who inspires you and why? And then we'll get back to our last question. Mm. Um, you know, the general resilience of founders who are building things in the middle of a pandemic inspires me. And I'm, I'm very rarely inspired by just celebrities, right? That's just not my thing. I, I right. mean, I think that there are a lot of great celebrities, um, but I think inspiration comes from people who are um, who are doing the hard work of building things and doing it at what can only be the the hardest time that we've experienced in our lives, right? Yeah. Um, in the middle of COVID, um, racial unrest. Um, Insurrection. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot going climate on. Climate change. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Yeah, that, that's and, the understatement yeah, of who are, the century. <laughs> people who are able to like lift their heads above like the day-to-day stuff and execute on their long-term vision are just the most impressive people to me. No, I agree. All right. Final question. You think about that committee who you want living or dead uh, and who those, who those okay. people are. It could be uh, anybody personal. It could be your friends. It, could be your, well, it doesn't matter. In- okay. Uh, my dad, because he gave great advice. Um, so that's always a good one. Um, I would put uh, I would put uh, let's see. Uh, Kathy Wood from Ark Invest. Okay. That's that's a good number two. What, why her? Uh, um, I, I think she has a brilliant perspective on technology investments in the public sector, public market okay. technology investments. And, um, you know, as a person who invests in private sector companies and who hopefully will eventually, those will eventually go public. I always think that's a good person to have on as a thought partner. Um, okay. And then I, I would throw, I mean, I would throw Robert Smith in there maybe. Yeah, he'd be a good one. Robert Smith, a Jamie Dimon, you know, a, a someone who has built, well, another, a second someone who has built a, a firm, um, a financial firm. So, yeah. I feel like I should put someone who has good life advice. Like, but you don't have to look. These are your. Like this is your committee. Lama. You don't. This is your Dalai committee. Lama or yeah. yeah. Hey, you yeah. If that's not who you pick, this is your committee. <laughs> your life committee. Nobody else's. So you don't take that's advice. 
There you go. No, I do take advice, but I do. Oh, sorry. You ignore a lot of advice Uh, that that's given. (laughs) I just often ignore a lot of it to my own. I said that. I said that wrong. Sometimes, I mean, most advice needs to be thrown out because a lot of (laughs) advice. Let's let's be clear. A lot of people giving advice are usually giving it from a place of insecurity or or a place of uh, of fear. Sometimes. At least that's what I've seen. You definitely want to be careful of the advice and what you put in your ear because it's you. You yeah, I, mean, that I think I've gotten great advice from people like um, Kate Mitchell, who's a founding partner at Scale Venture Ventures, and um, people like that. I go to go back to over and over for advice. I think sometimes people can only give advice from the lens with which they have been able to view the world. I think right? that's true of everybody, isn't and, it? Yeah. And that is often limited by um, needing to to protect things, needing to find some level of safety. And I think, you know, I think you can only uh, you can only scale yourself and and your experience if you're willing to take some big risks and you're willing to to bet on yourself in, in the face of like not knowing where that next step is necessarily going to come from and just realizing that, you know, the path will, will make itself. Hey, that's a good way to drop the mic. Monique Woodward, appreciate your time. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs>